You may be seated. Good morning, church. Well, as I mentioned, and as we began really the whole the whole month uh, to look at going deeper, right? We, we said we came out of a season of a merger. We came out of a season of creating structure, upgrading the facility. And now we said at the beginning of this year, the season was to go deeper, each of us individually and collectively as a church to go deeper. And so we've taken this month and particularly this week to focus on that, to focus on going deeper with our relationship with God through fasting and prayer. And so last week we began part one, and, and we're going to continue this morning with part two, looking at prayer and fasting. And we talked about what we mean by prayer and fasting, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible has to say. We talked about why we should uh, pray and fast, does it make a difference? And then this morning in particular, we're going to focus on how do we pray and fast. And so first I want to recap uh, last week. When we read through Matthew 21, verse 13, where Jesus says, It is written, my house will be called the house of prayer. And we said Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, 7. And we said that the people were in the right place, and they were doing the right thing, they just had the wrong heart. In other words, it had become routine, it had become just habit. It, they were doing what they always did in the place where they always went. They didn't have the temple spirit when they were in the temple. And so he said fasting and prayer is essentially a way to get our hearts right, a way to, a way to recalibrate our lives around Jesus Christ. And so we said last week again, the problem was the hearts of the people. And so when we're all the time, right, are our hearts right? When we're serving the Lord, when we're, when we're talking to our spouse, when we're at work, do we, have the house, do we have the heart of the Lord? Are we, are we aware that we are his ambassadors, that we're never off the clock? That if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Maybe you're not an overseas missionary, but you're a missionary every day wherever God has you. In every exchange, in every conversation, you are God's instrument. Or you can choose not to be. But if you're a Christian, you're called to be. The Bible makes very clear you're a minister of reconciliation. With the comfort you receive from God, you're called to extend that comfort to others. And so again, fasting and prayer is a way to focus our hearts with God's heart so that our will aligns with God's will. And so we said at CFC, we want to be known as a house of prayer. We want to be people who get our hearts right. And so you have this opportunity for this week in particular. And if you miss the announcements, Monday through Thursday at 6.30 to 7.30 every night this week. Come by for part or all of that time. And we're going to have guided prayer and worship. And I would encourage you, whatever you have going on, make it a priority. Your spiritual health should be a priority. In fact, that's what we're going to, we're going to get a little bit into that when we talk about fasting. But, you know, one of the reasons that fasting is powerful, fasting from food in the biblical sense is that you know, you get hungry and you feel this hunger and in your prayer time, in your quiet time, you can refocus that. You can recognize, even in that moment of hunger, that, Lord, I recognize that, that you created me, that I have this hunger and that you provide and that I'm going to eat and that I'm able to eat and I'm grateful. And I'm also aware of my spiritual hunger and that you meet that need, right? So even the, that's why, again, the Bible talks, and we, we said fasting was always food in the Bible, not to say we shouldn't abstain from other stuff we'll talk about, 
But there's, there's a real, uh, real spiritual principle when we're taking command of our physical body. And so that's what that is. It's just an opportunity to go deeper. It's, it's for you and God. It's not, you know, we, you know, we said, um, before that, you know, you don't fast. And when it says to fast privately, that doesn't mean that, you know, nobody could know. Like we, we said, you know, there's extremes where, you know, you can be, you know, so secretive of like, you know, somebody's ordering lunch and you say, I'm not going to have anything today. Okay, why are you fasting? I can't tell you that. <laughs> I might be. Right? That's at one extreme. That's not what that means when it says, what it means is don't be the guy who goes, it's lunchtime. You guys can get whatever you want, but today I'm fasting thanks to the power of the Lord in my life. So all you heathens have your pizza, right? So neither one of those are appropriate, right? It's to keep it privately to make it between you and God. The point of fasting is not so you can compare it to somebody else. It's not so you can, you know, check this box. It's an opportunity as is prayer to go deeper with Jesus to be conscious and aware of the great love he has for us. And again, to go deeper, to deny ourselves something we need, something we take for granted, and to focus all of ourselves on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So we started, and I'm going to just recap some of the, the main points that we made last week. And we will have um, Monday night for the first night of, of, of the week of the events, we'll have uh, the notes from last week, the notes from this week, and the list on fasting. We'll have that available, printed out for you to take on Monday night. But if you email me, and I know some of you have, I can email you all these notes as well. Because um, I'm going to recap some of the main points we made last week. But I would encourage you, particularly if you weren't here, to go and listen or watch. Uh, certainly get the notes from that service. So when we talk about what prayer is. We said it's simply communication with God. It's simply listening and talking to God, right? It's a relationship, we said, wherein we humbly communicate, worship, and sincerely seek God's face, knowing that he hears us, he loves us, and he will respond. It's spending time with him. It focuses on helping us to be, uh, it helps us rather focus on him rather than ourselves, rather than our situation, rather than our problem. God gives us direction. He places people on our hearts, and he speaks to us if we listen. We said in Acts, in the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the early church, it is a blueprint. It is what it looked like when God's people, when the, the New Testament church, what it looked like when they tried to live all this out. And you can't read the book of Acts without seeing this type of thing. They always join together constantly in prayer. It was just like it was an essential part of Jesus' life, and it was the essential part of the disciples' life, and we're going to see that. It has to be an essential part of our lives. Prayer is not an add-on, right? We said last week it is the most powerful and the most underutilized spiritual discipline. And we talked a little bit about why that might be, and I think for a lot of us, prayer is intimidating, right? You know, depending on how you grew up and how you heard people pray, and sometimes you think, I don't, you know, I don't know if I know how to pray the right way, and I heard this person pray. We get all kind of anxiety about praying, and so we just don't do it. You don't have to think about it. Or we, or, or we compare it to how somebody else prays, and it, it's not that. Prayer is simply personal communication with God. It is what, you know, there is corporate prayer, and we understand that. 
But what we're focusing primarily on here is our private prayer with God. Because if we don't have a private prayer life, if we don't, you know, it's not to say when we come together, this, but there's more power when God's people come together and they're people of prayer, amen? amen? And so we develop ourselves personally and then we grow together collectively. And so prayer is essential. And, and all of us, again, we said last week, all of us can look and say our prayer lives would be better. And so let's make it better. You know, not for anyone else's sake, but for our own. Let's press in. Let's take an opportunity. When the word challenges us, and every week when I'm preaching and I'm preparing and I'm engaging with the word, I'm never not challenged. I'm never not convicted. I never preach and go, yeah, I got this one figured out, ever. I'm always like, wow, this is an area I got to work on. You know, we got to work on this together. That's why God gives us his word and his spirit. And we're going to see how essential the Spirit of God is as we talk through some of this stuff. And, and I don't want to go quickly through it because there's a lot, even in the recap. It's important. And so he said, fasting is a way to focus your prayer time. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without praying. Fasting is not independent of prayer. It's not just a spiritual discipline you do so, you know, you can, again, that, some people have that idea. You know, that, that, that it's supposed to be painful somehow. Now, you, you know, you certainly can make the case that following Jesus comes with sacrifice. But, you know, life is painful enough. We don't have to go out of our way to find ways to make the process uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean it's more spiritual if it's uncomfortable. So why pray and fast? Because we said Jesus says when you pray and fast, it's expected. We're going to look at it. We said Jesus, our example, prayed. And we said, and he tells us to pray. And so obedience is a natural byproduct of discipleship. And we also said that Christ delegated a certain amount of his authority in the earth to, our, to the church, his body, right, us, and our decisions, which, which are expressed in prayer, which are given to us. You know, God aligns his heart with our heart in prayer, but prayer changes us, prayer changes outcomes, prayer changes others' lives. It makes a difference. There's power in prayer. We said Matthew 26, 41. And this is, you know, this is, again, a lot of times scriptures, they're so, it's the easy ones. I think it was, I think it was Mark Twain who said, you know, it's the, everyone's bothered by the parts of scripture they don't understand. It's the parts I understand that bother me, right? The parts that he gets are, 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 are a struggle. But there's so many things in scripture that, seem evident if we only just applied this one thing. So this is Jesus talking, if you couldn't get any more important. And this is what he says. Keep alert and pray. Keep alert and pray. And then he's saying this otherwise. So keep alert and pray. Or if you don't, I can't, this, is, this, this can't be powerful enough. Jesus is going, keep alert and pray. Otherwise, Temptation will overpower you. Keep alert and pray. Means be attentive. Don't be caught off guard. Be a person in, in prayer. And if you don't do that, temptation's gonna not only come, it's gonna overpower you. And we, we walk around our whole lives and we go, oh, temptation, you know, I'm, so, I'm powerless and, and, you know, I don't know what to do. And I'm, again, I did the same thing like Paul, like just like Paul in Romans, I keep doing it and I don't know what to do. And, and then we just kind of, we end it like, I don't know. And Jesus is going, keep alert and pray, underline, asterisk, you know, right? This is the answer. This is the antidote. There's power in prayer. If you don't, 
Keep alert and pray. Temptation will overpower you. We said last week, if you look at how much good stuff is put, you know, how much stuff nourishes you relative to all the garbage that tries to entertain you and really just keeps you sufficiently distracted from the bigger questions of life. And I'm, I'm an entertainment guy. I love, you know, Netflix. And show. I'm not, I'm just saying, you got to have a priority in your life. You got to recognize where that is. And so keep alert and, and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. It couldn't be more black and white. And so there is power in prayer. And one of the greatest powers in prayer is to overcome temptation in our own life. And so my, my uh, symbolic weekly Leonard Ravenhill quote, it's one of my favorites, a sinning man stops praying and a praying man stops sinning. Because if all we focus on is what we can do and what we can't do and what we should do and what we didn't do, we're going to stay in that cycle. But if we fall deeper in love with Jesus, Ravenhill's saying the answer to prayer I mean, the answer to stopping and sinning is in prayer, is in seeking Jesus. It's not in just saying, I want to or I don't want to. It's in recognizing the powerlessness that we have without Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. So there's power in prayer. Very important. Prayer develops our relationship with God. Prayer builds us up. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we said, In prayer we become more like Jesus, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Such a beautiful scripture. And it means that every single human being that was ever created and that will be created is an image bearer of God himself. Everyone. And sin has tarnished that image. And the answer is Jesus Christ. And as we submit and are obedient to Jesus Christ day by day, His image is made manifest in us so that the goal is that someday somebody sees Jesus and forgets about me, right? We said, you know, to take it to extreme, but we said uh, a few weeks ago, Count Zinzendorf was a a missionary and he famously said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, which is kind of like, that's aggressive. But right, what's this point? This point is is all about the glory of God. And we're going to see that in, in the prayer that Jesus models as well. Our purpose here is to be in relationship with God and to live in such a way that reflects his glory and majesty that when people look at us, there is something quantifiable but unexplainable about the power of God in us. And the Bible says the, the cross is the power of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So when people in the world is like, that, ah, you guys are nuts, it doesn't make sense. I know, but you weren't there when he saved me. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to those being saved, right? And when you know, you know, and you know. And that's amazing. That being transformed into the same image, that as we surrender, that as we submit, that as we allow through prayer, through his word, through fellowship with other believers, through taking, taking, you know, keeping the garbage out and filling us with stuff that nourishes us. We're in those moments, you know, this... There's moments, not just as ministers, as Christians, you know moments where you, you know you're in, a mo- you're in a conversation, you know, you think you, you suddenly find yourself talking to somebody and you, you get that excitement because you're like, I know God that set this, set, set this up. And you don't want to be nervous. I hope I say the right thing. You get, but you're there and, you're kind of, and you have this exchange and you walk away and you're like, that was, that was great. I can't wait, right? Because you recognize I'm doing what I was created to do. I'm an instrument of God. And there is no higher calling. There's no better thing that can happen to you 
than to be the instrument God uses to turn that light on in somebody's life. I mean, to this day in my life, one of the most exciting parts of ministry is that moment that light turns on when people understand the love of God. And they're overwhelmed. I've seen guys, I mean, just, you, you couldn't imagine the past, criminal, murder, you know, the whole thing is violent. And I've seen them crying like babies because they just suddenly understood the love of God. And there is nothing in the world, there will never be anything in the world more beautiful than that. Because that's the business God's in the miracle business. And so we need to keep him central in our life, otherwise we'll miss his plan. Because the world system distorts and continues to distort our thinking, so we must renew our mind, the Bible says. And it's a process that takes time. It involves the word and the spirit. It involves removing distractions. It involves that difficult thing, that be still, right? So hard to be still. It's getting increasingly harder to be still. But in prayer, we become more like Jesus. Prayer acknowledges our dependence. John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me. We said that word means to remain or to make his home in. He who, you know, finds his grounding, finds his comfort, is at home, is at peace with me. I'm going to bear fruit, right? So that means that all of our life and ministry should be an overflow of the love of God in us. The way it works is that as we recognize how high and wide and deep the Bible says, as we recognize the depths of the love of God in us, and as we recognize how little we deserve that, we should be so overwhelmed with gratitude, and we should be so profoundly changed that everyone we see, we want them to recognize, do you know how much God loves you? Despite you, do you know how much God loves you? And you know how powerful it is, particularly to people who've never felt loved in their lives? The love of God, church. You know, I have a sweatshirt, and, and uh, you know, people, I always get double, you know, double takes on it. And on the back of the sweatshirt, it says Hope Dealer. And so people, I always catch, and then they're like, what's that about? I'm like, well, Dope Dealers deal, deal Dope. Hope Dealers deal Hope. I'm a Hope Dealer. My friend used to say, I used to be a hopeless dope fiend, and now I'm a dopeless hope fiend. <laughs> and so they say, well, where do you get hope? And I'm like, funny you should ask. Let me tell you about Jesus. Amen. The only hope the world has ever and will ever know, right? So prayer is the opposite of doing things yourself, right? We said prayer is pretty hard on pride. Proud people don't pray very much. They don't. And I've said week after week, and it's worth repeating, that if you leave this place, your past is never going get, to get in the way of God's plans for you. Your past, it's not your past, it's your pride. The only thing that's going to get in the way of God's plan for your life is your pride. Yes, He'll deal with your past. Right. It's your pride. Right. And so take this opportunity today, the altar, the, for the week, in your quiet time, and just pray. Acknowledge your dependence on him. Prayer and fasting are a way to focus on God and not just ourselves or our situations. It's a way to live out Matthew 6.33, and we're going to talk more about that. So we do it, as a recap of last week, we do it because Jesus did. He tells us to. It helps us to be more like him. It encourages us in him. It empowers us to minister and live for Jesus, and it acknowledges our dependence 
on him. And again, you know, we'll have the notes. So I want to talk about how to pray. We're going to, we, we spent a good amount of time last week and this morning on, you know, what is prayer and fasting? Why should we pray and fast? And now I want to talk about how, how to pray. And in Luke 11, verse 1, Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him this question, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, I want to point out that the disciples, as far as we know, hadn't really asked Jesus. It's the only thing recorded in Scripture that they're uh, remarked as having asked Jesus to teach them. And so if we stop and think about that for a minute, it's, pr- it's a pretty remarkable thing. Because they spent a lot of time with Jesus, day in and day out, and they saw him do all kinds of things. They saw him heal and and preach and teach. I mean, they saw him do all sorts of things, and yet this one thing, they couldn't sort of figure out, right? And I imagine like Peter, and I imagine Peter, you know, they're like by the fire, and and because Peter's like one of my favorites, and I want to identify with Peter, Peter doesn't like to get up early. And so Peter's by the fire, and, you know, he has Jesus making some noise, and it's, you know, it's like Peter looks at his watch. I know Peter didn't have a watch, but let's, and he's at 3 a.m., it's like, you know, one of these eyes is like, Jesus, I want to sleep till 10, you know, like 3 a.m., what are you doing? There he is, going into the dark by himself again. I know, he does this. And just kind of getting a sense of, you know, I don't, I, you know, it was such an integral part of who Jesus is. They, they knew it wasn't like, it's just, what is, you know, how, they had a concept of prayer, you know, Old Testament, but, you know, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They asked him because they recognized it was critical in his life, and they didn't understand it. So if you're here and you're like, ah, oh, prayer, I don't, good, you're in great company, because the people who spent every day with Jesus for three years were still like, we see the, you know, the healing, the teaching, we see, you know, all the things you're doing, but the prayer, teach us about that one. Lord, teach us to pray. How do we pray? And Jesus was probably like, I'm glad you asked. The fact is, Jesus obviously impressed his disciples with his prayer life and the importance, and so they asked him. And then if you look in verse 13 of Luke 11, he says this, if you ask God the Father, he will give you the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we stop and point out, the question was, how do we pray? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The answer is the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're, you know, it's, it's about what you can do and what you can't do. And, and what, what Jesus is saying is the answer is the Spirit. And Paul's going to make this a little clearer when we say, well, what kind of, what does that mean? In Romans 8, 26, Paul says it this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You know, you get that, I don't know. And then sometimes we get this, you know, we, we want to pray for something, and then we're like, is that, should I be praying for that? Is that the right thing to pray? I don't know. Is that important, right? And we get this. And so and there's so much anxiety around prayer. And what Paul's saying, Jesus' response is, it's the Spirit of God. And we're going to look at a model that Jesus used, but it's the Spirit of God. It's, it's a relationship where you communicate with the God of the universe, and it's a spiritual experience. In other words, it's not about the words that you say or how you say them. or the, you know, the, it, it is about the posture of your heart in the Spirit before God. So here are some other things Jesus says on prayer when 
talking about how we should pray. Because he says this in Matthew 21, verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. You can say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you pray, you have faith that God exists. You have faith that God loves you and he's a good father, right? Nobody's going to pray. You're not going to ask for something from somebody who's never, every time they, they respond to it, it's the wrong way or it's not help, helpful, right? You, you pray because you recognize he's a good father. Even when Paul's in the middle of his struggle, he doesn't deny that the law is good. He delights in it. He recognizes it, but he recognizes something else at work in his heart. So having faith that Jesus has taken away your sins so God will hear your prayers. Have faith that the Holy Spirit is teaching you to pray. Have faith that God will answer, will hear and answer your prayers. And we said last week, right, that God's a father and he's got three ways of answering requests from his kids, yes, no, and later, or maybe. And I said before, we all know that when the kid says, well, can't you just tell me now? Just tell me now. It's like, well, if I'm going to tell you now, it's no then. Like, all right, maybe it's fine, right? So they don't want it because we don't like maybe or we don't like later. We like right now. But it's a way of trusting. We're going we're gonna to get into that. How did Jesus pray? Well, he prayed scripture. On the cross, he prayed Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How about Luke 22, verse 42? Famously in the garden. And I would submit to you, the most, this is the most perfect prayer. And even what we're going to look at is really an extended form of this prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Really the most perfect prayer. It encompasses every part of, of prayer. And Jesus is praying to his Father. And he's, he's recognizing who God is. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. Lord, you are the one who's in control. You can change the situation. And so we come to God oftentimes, and we're in circumstances, we're in situations, things have happened, and we've asked God to change them. And that's good presence. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Lord, could you, could you do this differently? And we've all prayed that, and we all should pray that. Lord, get me out of this situation. Lord, you know, and sometimes he does. Sometimes the situation changes. Often, it doesn't. And that's where people have a lot of, a pr- lot of problems. That's where people have trouble shifting to the next part of Jesus' prayer. Yet your will be done, not mine. That's what we touched on last week with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel where they said, look, my God can deliver me. My God's going to deliver me. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm never going to bow down to another God and I will always worship him. And Jesus is going, Lord, would you, would you take this cup from me? Would you change the situation? But if not, I trust you. And I know you're going to be with me. And I know your ways are better than my ways. And I trust your will. And it's the hardest thing in the world to pray. But it's a full and perfect prayer. And Jesus is, that's what Jesus is doing there. And so I know it's hard. It's, it's not just hard, it's impossible. But we said what? It's the Spirit. It's the Spirit interceding. Thank God that he doesn't answer a lot of the prayers we prayed, right? Aren't you, if you look back, aren't you happy some of the prayers he didn't answer? I think in particular, when I was being driven to Teen Challenge by my mother-in-law and Gary Taylor, who was my pastor, and I'm, if, I've, if I've ever prayed a prayer, I mean, it was, it was the most, please God, answer this prayer prayer I've ever prayed. 
So my life's a disaster. Um, I, I mean, just, I, it's not even a category for the level of disaster. It was a disaster. I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I didn't know if my wife was going to leave me. I didn't know if I was going to be employable. It was just a disaster. And I remember just being like, Lord, would you pre- please, right now, just, I, I believe in you. I know you're real. Would you fix me? Would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you, just an instant deliverance. That's what I wanted. God, just answer this prayer. Now, would you say that that prayer wasn't answered? Because if he would have answered the prayer I wanted, I would have never gone to Teen Challenge. I mean, I was on my way to Brockton. It's like, please, whatever happens, I don't want to go to Brockton. Nobody wants to go to Teen Challenge. And if you've been to Teen Challenge, you definitely don't want to go. Now, it's the best thing ever, but I'm saying you don't want to go there. Nobody wakes up, oh, that would be a good idea. No. God meets you there, and he works with you there. But my prayer, what I wanted was I wanted an instant I wanted, I wanted just, I wanted my situation to change immediately. And God said, "Oh, I have a different plan." Like we say around here, see, I'm going to use your mess, and I'm going to turn it into a message. I'm not just going to fix you. I'm not just going to work in your life. I'm going to develop you over a period of time because I'm going to have you lead others to Jesus. I'm going to use your life as a trophy of my grace and my mercy. So much better, a thousand times better than I could have ever planned, right? And what that meant was for 12 months, every morning I woke up and I wasn't home with my wife and kids. I was in Brockton with five guys in a room. And we would have visits. And my daughter, who was really little, she was five or six, she would cry and say, Dad, is God school done yet? Are you coming home yet? And the guys with me, they would look as she cried and got into the car, and they said, how can you not leave seeing that? And I said, seeing that is the reason I don't leave. Because I know. All I knew was God had begun something, and he wasn't finished. Trust in the process. Don't shortcut the process God has for you. It's better than anything you can come up with. David spent a lot of days alone in the wilderness with just animals, thinking of himself not as anybody mighty. We, I said before one time I was preaching that before he was the mighty man of God, David was the stinky boy of sheep. But what was God doing? He was developing him. Don't despise humble beginnings. Don't despise the will of God in your life. And trust him. He doesn't answer prayers the way you think they ought to be answered because he's God. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 5 through 18, regarding how to pray. And I want to just highlight some things. And really, I want to look at the first part of of Matthew 6. And if you want to turn there, you can. Because I want to take a moment. I I just want us to look at this together. Because when he starts the, the, the teaching in Matthew 6, first in my Bible it says giving to the poor in prayer. So before in verse 5 he gets into prayer, I, I want to just quickly highlight some of these things. Beware practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, that assumes that you do, right? That you're charitable. Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they may be honored by men. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. 
But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And what is done, what is done in secret, your father will reward you. So it's the same principle that he's going to apply. And we're going to, again, focus primarily on fasting and prayer quickly. And then I'm going to close with a couple other things he mentions. But the point is that spiritual disciplines are between you and God. They benefit others. There's an application. But they are not. So you can compare either yourself to, you know, your spiritual self to your hypothetical spiritual self or your spiritual self to somebody else. They're so you can go deeper with God. It's a relationship. And so I want you to have that context in mind. And now in in verse 5, Jesus is going to answer the how do you pray. He's going to answer it with some things you you ought not to do. And I think it's interesting that he's starting with, hey, how do I pray? Not, well, here's what you should do. But he starts with, well, here's what you should not do. And the reason he's saying that because is what people are doing, right? So we need that kind of reminder. Like, hey, how do I do this? Well, first of all, let me tell you how to not do it because that's what you're doing, right? That's, that's kind of what's happening there. Jesus is like, let's start with forget everything you know, right? When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they have their, their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is saying something. He's going, all right, listen, here's what prayer is not about. Here's what it's not supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be some, everybody look at me. It's not about how much you repeat, how eloquent your speech is. Jesus is going, it's not those things. And then he says this, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Now again, and I grew up and you repeated the Our Father. I said the Our Father a hundred times before I knew what the words meant. I didn't even know, Right? So it's interesting that after Jesus teaches, it's not just about repetition that we just find something and repeat it. So this is a model to be prayed. It is a model of prayer. I'm not saying it's bad if you that's not. But what I'm saying is what Jesus is saying is these are components of a prayer. It's not, it's not about the words. It's not about the repetition. It's, it's about a sincere communication with God. And I want to read through this, and there's some things I want to, I want to highlight and, uh, and take a look at. Our Father in heaven, and again, different translations obviously say that, so this differently. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So again, this is a model of prayer for us to pay attention to. And first, again, Jesus directs us what we are not to do. So your prayers are not to be, they don't need to be wordy or impressive in speech. So if you hear people pray, you're like, I can't, I don't even know what they're saying. I can't pray like that. That's fine. That's okay. I, I know, I mean, I've seen some people who are Christians for a decade or two and just recently began to pray publicly, began to feel confident enough. And so while the focus here is, is, our, is our prayer life, individually it obviously is our prayer life collectively as well it both applies so if you want to pray out loud you want to pray quietly 
I've, I've shared before that when I was younger, if I'm, if I'm just, you know, I used to have a long commute, so I would always try to pray. In the morning, I would pray in my commute. In the evening, I would listen to stuff or whatever. But So I would always pray in the morning. And if I don't speak out loud, like if I'm just praying in my head, I get all distracted. So I'll be, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'll think of, you know, just some random, I'm like, oh, what, you know. I'm probably the only one that's ever happened to, so you guys have no idea. But sometimes that happens to people. So I, I used to pray out loud. Like, I would just talk to myself. Now, this is like in the late 90s, and so everybody used to always think I was a nut. They would look over, and I would be, you know, I wouldn't be too with the hand motions, but I'd be praying, and they'd be like, this guy's. And now everybody does that. Everyone's talking to himself, Mikai, you don't look. So it's kind of cover to pray, right? But pray out loud, pray quietly, it doesn't matter. Again, it's not the words. Matthew 6, 7, don't babble on as people of the other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating again and again. It's the NLT. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. No correct posture for prayer. In the Bible, people prayed on their knees, bowing on their faces before God, standing Eyes open, eyes closed, quietly, loudly. However you are the most comfortable and the least distracted. The least distracted, right? And so this is, these are some of the elements of Jesus' prayer. First, direct your prayers to God the Father and not to dead people. Now, I understand that prayer is supposed to be made. I understand the, the theology behind intercessory prayer. So the idea is that you pray to Mary and then Mary pray. But Hebrews 4 says this in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then verse 16 says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The point is, it is only because of the blood of Jesus that we can become come before the throne of God. The great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb. We don't have to pray to Mary. We don't have to pray to saints. We can pray with people collectively, but we don't have to pray to dead people. We can go directly to God himself. And that's what the scriptures are teaching us. That's what Jesus is teaching us when he directs his prayers. The first part of his prayer, when we look at that model of prayer, we start in the garden and we see it here. We direct our prayers toward God himself. And immediately we see, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. That means that it's important that as we pray, as first we're directing our prayers to our heavenly father. We know he's the creator, he's God, he's good, he answers prayers. And then we're recognizing that his kingdom is going to come, that his will is going to be done. In other words, we have the perspective that whatever we're facing, whatever is happening in this life, whatever is right in front of you is temporary. It's not eternal. It's not going to last forever. That despite what you and I do, God's going to build this church. That Jesus wins, right? And so this is just a matter of trusting in him, of recognizing, of having the perspective Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. It's the second half of the prayer in the garden. That's what it is. It's trusting when you can't see. It's faith. It's relational. 
And here's the thing, as, as God shows up more and more, as, as you go through things and you recognize that what you wanted or what you thought was good and then what God did were two different things, as time goes on, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not easy. It's never easy to follow God, especially when you can't see it. But in my life, when I've recognized like in Teen Challenge and like a million other times where I said, Lord, I want this. And he said, okay, but I want this. And I trusted him in that. And I walked in that. And then it gets easier the next time to go, oh, that's right. You know it all. And I don't have a great track record, let's just say. So you know what, Lord, I can't see it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you if this is your will for my life. And you say, well, how do I know the will for my life? Well, you pray and you look at the word, and you seek counsel from believers. Remember to stay in the perfect will of God for your life. It's about his plan, ultimately. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a recognition that he's the provider, that he's the sustainer. Lord, thank you for provision. So we wake up, and there's 50 things we've taken for granted, right? I have a roof over my head. I have clothes. I've eaten. Uh, You know, I, I have breath in my lungs. I'm alive. I get to be an instrument. God can use me today for his purposes. What a blessing. Recognizing. He's he's supplied everything I need physically and everything I need spiritually. And then it gets tough because we're we're doing good up until this point, I think. But then forgive us our sins as we forgive those, or forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Now it's getting like tough. Now you got to, you know, see the line above. Go back to the will of God, right? So Jesus is going, pray to God alone. Recognize that he's good, that he's a father. Pray for his will to be done, recognizing that his kingdom ultimately will come, that his purposes will come to pass, that he can be trusted, that he's good. Recognize him for the daily provision, for what you need in this very moment right now in every way. And then as you are a recipient of salvation, as you recognize the love of God in your life, what he's done, again, goes back to all of ministry is this recognizing what God's done. Jesus is going, how can you then not live out forgiveness and grace and mercy? How can you not, when you recognize that you've been saved, that you've been forgiven, that you've been redeemed, you're being, how can you not then extend that to other people? Because again, each, each of these Elements build on the other. Forgive those who forgive you. And then ask God to keep you out of temptation. Again, we read that right in the beginning. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, you'll fall into temptation. That's what Jesus is saying here. Deliver me from evil. Help me to overcome temptation. So, you know, during your your time this week, take that prayer and and break it apart in sections. And, you know, again, I... I prayed it probably a hundred times before I stopped and said, oh. And so take that first, you know, our Father who art in heaven. You know, God, my heavenly Father, I love you. You're a good God. You're a good Father. And you're in control and you saw And pray through that section. And then go to the next section and pray in your own words to God, using this as a guide, as a perfect guide for prayer. Remember, God's kingdom, his power, and his glory will be the only one that lasts forever. Everything else is fleeting and temporary, but our lives with Jesus will be, will be forever. So the Lord's Prayer is powerful and profound. It has major application for each of our lives, and many of us have perfectly memorized it. 
having heard it so many times in the churches we were raised up in. But sometimes it loses its importance, things we memorize. And so I would encourage you to revisit it. It's a model. And Matthew continues in chapter 6, verse 14. And he talks about forgiveness. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I imagine that after Jesus got into that forgiveness part, they were probably still hung up on that. And he had to sort of, you know, recap. In other words, guys, hey, you know, you've been forgiven, right? You don't deserve forgiveness. So how do you not forgive others, right? Now we're going to talk about fasting. And when we talk about fasting here, I'm going to quickly go through this. When we talk about fasting here, um, we're talking about the posture and the heart of fasting, not just the abstaining from food, right? And so God told the nation of Israel what true fasting was. In Isaiah 58, God rebukes Israel for what he calls unacceptable fasting. And he says this, Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then I will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. What was happening was the fasting was becoming a religious exercise to show everybody how much better the people fasting were. And so Jesus is going, no, you fast to to fall deeper in love with God. You fast to have the heart of God to do the will of God. You're supposed to be the hope for the people. You're supposed to be the one feeding them and clothing them and taking care of them. You're supposed to be doing justice, walking humbly, loving mercy. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Instead, you're just doing this religious thing. You have no heart like God. You can't fast and pray and not have your heart aligned with God. And that's what was happening here. I'm taking a a class right now, and I was talking to Pastor Sam about this. Um, The professor started the class by saying, if you ask anybody to share with you what the gospel is, 99% of people aren't going to start in the Old Testament. And I thought, that's interesting. That's That's probably true. And he says, but it's all there. It's all there, the whole theme. And you, you, you see it here, you see it in most of the Old Testament. Here's, here's, the, here's the gospel, here's the element. It is God's pursuit. So God created a people. He loves those people. They are rebellious people. They continue again and again and again to turn their back on God. And he continues to pursue them and make a way. And so the theme of the Bible, the gospel, is always this. I will be their God and they will be my people. And there's no way that that can happen. God's got to make a way. And the whole Bible is his making a way, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's the gospel. We are invited into a relationship. That's the overarching theme, the meta narrative of all of Scripture, is that Jesus is the, the final part of God's plan to redeem people back to himself. So no matter how valuable you may or may not think you are, no matter how valuable people in your life may or may not have told you you are, you are so valuable that the God of the universe has literally done it all 
continues to do it all to pursue you. He made a way by sacrificing his own son who was innocent. It's the most, Gandhi said it was the most perfect act of justice ever, ever created, ever thought of. That one who is innocent so fully accepts the punishment for those who are so guilty. All of scripture is God fulfilling that promise to be our God and allowing us to be his people. And so in the Bible, and I'm, I'm going to go through this quickly. You can read the handout. It's just the different fasts in the Bible. The disciples fast, fast in Matthew 17. Ezra fast in Ezra 8 is a Samuel fast. Elijah fast. Widows fast. Paul fasting in Acts. John the Baptist. Luke. The Esther fast. Jesus fasting in Matthew 4. The Daniel fast. And so you can, you can again, we'll print this. You can look. You can read in Scripture where it talks about ways to fast. Normal fast, uh, no food, water only. Um, so the thing that we printed out, some of you emailed, we're going to have. <clears throat> one of the things it says, and this is just a resource we found, we didn't create it. It says an absolute fast is no food or water. Uh, I wouldn't ever recommend that. In fact, I don't see anywhere in the Bible. Arguably, people say maybe in First Kings, uh, supernaturally, where Elijah went 40 days. But there's nowhere in the Bible I see an extended period of, of going without water. I think it's a health thing. Obviously, with any fasting, you know, talk to your doctor. But I would just kind of cross that one off. So that's, that's my, you know, if I'm wrong and there's something somewhere in the Bible, you can tell me. But uh, I, I think uh, I wouldn't do that. Partial fast could mean uh, certain kinds of meals throughout the day. And let me tell you this. Not to be the legalistic, that doesn't count. That's not good enough. That's not the spirit with which I say this. But if you normally skip breakfast... Do I even have to, you know, you know? Well, I usually get four cheeseburgers at McDonald's. I'm going to get two today. That's not really, that's not what that means. So, you know, I want to say I don't care how you fast, but I can't. You, if you understand the principle of what it is, then find, find a way to apply it in your life. Don't, you know, juice fast, fruit and vegetables only, corporate fast, again, along with a group. And I would encourage you, particularly, again, if it's your first time, Fast with your spouse, fast with a friend, with somebody in your community group. Encourage one another. You know, when it says fast privately, trust me, that that applies. It's okay. But, yeah, just, you know, find a way to do that. And then um, my favorite fast, I think. I don't even know if that's, is that okay to even say that? That's all right. Whatever. The Jewish fast, 6 p.m. in the evening, ends the next day at 6 p.m. It's just a 24-hour fast. Most of the time, that's probably the way I do it, starting at 6 at night, but... The point is, find a way to fast. Look what the Bible has to say about it. Pray. Allow the Lord to guide you. But use it. Use it as an opportunity. And I'm telling you, as some of you fasted and I shared the first time it happened and it's not something that was part of my life, there's power in it. And just in the focusing your heart and your mind and your body, removing the distractions, I would encourage you. The Bible says to do it. Jesus did it. Jesus says to do it. There's a reason it's there, right? We don't have, we used to say in Teen Challenge, that guy reads the Burger King Bible, have it his way. You know, it's like, I'll do that, I won't do that, right? It's not like that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm just going to say this as we close. You know, whatever you're doing, if you fast a certain meal a day, however you fast, take the time, pray, focus on God. That's where he seeks it. we seek him for breakthroughs and answers to prayer. And we said, again, biblical fasting is always abstaining from food. But 
During a fast, you can abstain from other things, entertainment, TV, hobbies, other things spoken of. The point is, focus your heart on, on Jesus. And in Matthew 6, that teaching comes to a close. It talks about materialism, by what we allow in our hearts, by what we allow in through our ears and our eyes. It talks about priorities. It contrasts pursuing God with pursuing the worldly system. And then Jesus talks about worry and how it's counterproductive. And he closes with this thought, and stand together with me. And I'm going to read this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, church, focus your hearts and minds on Jesus. Follow him closer. Trust him more. Love him deeper. Seek him in prayer. Take this time and remove the distractions from your life. Amen. We needed to hear that. So as pastor said, you know, we, we have a high priest in Jesus who intercedes for us, right? So we can go directly to him. We can go directly to the Father. And so as we close out today, I just want you to think about this in prayer. Who needs, who needs something lifted in prayer today? Who, who's got stuff going on in their life? Anybody? You know, a couple of, couple of you? That's who we are. We're imperfect people, you know? And so I just want you to think about this. I'm going to go through the Lord's Prayer for a second here, you know, and I just want to sort of break it down even further, you know, rather than just recite it, I want you to just kind of think about this. And so just bow your heads with me as I pray this. And again, the altars are open. I want you to come up. If there's something you need prayer for, we want to pray with you. We want to stand in the gap for you and with you, and, and we invite you up to this altar. But before we do that, let's just pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be those by, the, by excuse me, be your name. Father, you are holy and perfect. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, bring your kingdom here, Lord. Bring it through us, Lord, but make it happen. As it is in the heavenly realms, Lord, make it, make it that way here. Give us this day our, our daily bread. Meet our needs in the physical and spiritual realms, Father all our basic provisions and help us to be grateful for those things, Lord. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Father, help us to live forgiven. Help us to receive forgiveness and not be afraid or, or learn to forgive others the way, as your word says, that grace and forgiveness has been poured out on us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, help us, God, when things come our way, when, when we're tempted to maybe step out of our godly character, when our flesh or the enemy himself presents things to us, Lord, help us, Father, to turn to you, to be strong and stand firm in your truth. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that your kingdom is forever that you are omnipotent, that you're all-powerful, God, that you're here with us now, and that you hear our prayers and cries. And so as we go into this final week of the month of prayer and fasting, lead this charge for us, would you? 
Make us a people of prayer. Bring us to the altar. Bring us to our knees, whether we're up front here or at our seats, God. Bring us to a place of surrender. A lot of hands go up when we ask who needs prayer, Lord. And so, Father, let us know. Remind us now that we can come directly to you together. In Jesus' name, amen.